is everything going to work? No. But, you know, thinking outside the box and really going for those moonshot opportunities and you just never know what will happen, right, in that sense. And I think that that's kind of been always uh, attached to the DNA of, of how I approach things. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way, anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening, because this is Travis Makes Friends. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Travis Makes Friends podcast. Today, I'm making friends with Dan Novias. Dan is the CEO of Mode Mobile, whose vision is to sustainably offer a free smartphone and data plan to every person on the planet. Their earn-as-you-go software enables millions of budget-conscious consumers to earn additional passive income through daily habits that they're already doing. So they're also the creators of the Mode Earn Phone, modephone.com, the first ever smartphone that pays you. Dan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Travis. Yeah, so we met at a mastermind meetup, actually this one right here, um, 100 Million Mastermind. And uh, it's funny, we're, we go to these like little breakout rooms, right? So for mm -hmm. those that aren't familiar with masterminds, usually you have like a like a kind of general assembly type of thing. You know, we have a speaker come in, they'll share something, and then you have these we have these breakout sessions, which to me are probably the most valuable yeah, pieces of, of the mastermind. And it's usually, you know, five to seven of us in a room with one or two really smart instructors. Yep. And people go around and they share like, you know, hey, here's a little bit about my business. Here's a problem that we've been coming up against. You know, do you guys have any suggestions or whatever? And we all kind of focus on helping one person's yep. business. And I remember when everybody, when it got to, when it got to your turn, everybody was like, you, you immediately took everybody out of the kind of rigmarole of, of what we do in those breakout rooms because yeah. your business is so interesting and unique. As soon as we started having the conversation, I was like, my mind started turning about, first of all, let me get this guy on the show, but also what can we do? Like, there's gotta be some business that we can do together because it's yeah. pretty freaking incredible. So usually we go directly into backstory, but I want to start talking about your business a little bit first, okay? and then we'll go back and, and talk a little bit about some context. So Perfect. explain to me where you even came up with this concept and, and then, you know, how you got started building this company. Sure. Yeah. So it was around like 2016, 2017, and actually started with we had built a music platform and our idea was to aggregate a bunch of different music streaming platforms and media streaming platforms. And it never really kind of took off, but we had this one cohort of user that kept using it. And so, and we then started interviewing those people and was like, Hey, why do you use this? And turns out they all had one thing in common, they didn't pay for subscriptions. They tend to be more budget conscious. And so we were like, you know, what if we just rewarded people to play music, right? And created a business off of that because they tend to have more time than they necessarily had money. And so we focused on that area and then that started to just have a lot of natural growth mm -hmm. like that, that media problem was that's a pretty hard business to make work because, you know, music streaming already is a very difficult business. So then we expanded into gaming, then we expanded into shopping, then we expanded into all these services. And we noticed that vast majority of our users were actually on Android. And then what started kind of cultivating this idea is like, well, we're really creating like an earn OS, like an earning operating system. And the idea of the phone was kind of taking that baseline software. And what would you do if you had a phone that we call Earth phone and would the behavior change? And what we found is, and I literally just, you know, decided to run it as a, as a test, as an experiment, like, you know, yeah, we're going to build a smartphone. It was relatively audacious at the time, yeah. but you know, we did it and we ended up seeing that people that used Earnphone with our software 
were earn three times higher than the average consumer that was using the app and you know retain two and a half times more and we just saw way better like you know data on it and i think the thesis is kind of like you know if you go into a restaurant you go to a bar and you have a drink and it's half like left you tend to finish it right because yeah, yeah. you paid for it and you know in this category that we focus on which is like sub 150 dollar type devices every device is kind of the same like we're not talking about the iphone like you know two thousand dollar you know market sure. here but if you have one phone that pays you and one does not the consumer is going to choose the one that does especially when we're spending 40 hours a week that is the average time that people are spending on their device which is a work week and, and you're not making them go do a bunch of other activities yep. in order to earn these are things that you're already you're doing. gonna, you're gonna do. be streaming music you're gonna be streaming music. Yeah. You're gonna be, be charging. Games. You're gonna be charging your phone. You're gonna be unlocking your phone. You're gonna be doing all these things, and everything's opt in. So the more you do, the more you earn. The less you do, the less you earn. And if you want to just have the phone and delete the software and you just use it as an Android phone, you could do that too. And you know what we found is, you know, thus far we've been able to help users or earners, like you know, earn and save 150 million dollars through you know our, our our service. So it sounds great, bro, but. How are they getting paid for these things? How can you pay a user to yeah. unlock their own phone? Yeah. So, I mean, we will work with advertisers. You know, the average person unlocks their phone, you know, 40, 50 times a day. And this is one of the functionalities that we have in the product. But, um, you know, think about that. Like, that's 50 times that someone's coming. And the first thing you're seeing is like a news article or you're seeing this. And so we can drive traffic to different places and advertisers pay for that. You know, for the games, like, you know, what we do is we align habits, the incentives with the advertisers and the user. So an example could be like, hey, Candy Crush. Candy Crush, what did they want? They want someone to download their product. And the traditional model of affiliate marketing was like, hey, like you pay for this install and then you tell the user to download this app and you get paid. Problem is that once you do that, someone downloads an app and they stop using it. Yeah. And so there's no return on ad spend. There's no value for the advertiser. What we essentially do is kind of like, hey, how do we align the value? And so what we'll do is we'll reward the user per minute that they play, which creates a habit. Yeah. And you know, the advertiser will pay us on a specific CPA goal. If we do that for a bank, or a neobank, it's like, what is your goal? The goal is we want new accounts that have $5 deposit in it for like a trading account or whatever it is. What do you want them to pay? Okay, I want them to pay $150 because that's what it's costing them on Facebook or these other networks. Sure. And so what we'll do for the user is like, hey, open up an account here, deposit five bucks, and we will incentivize you another $75. We'll split the revenue with them. And now you have $80 to trade, which then creates more value for the advertiser, right? And that's how we align. But we just do that across every single spectrum of someone's daily life yeah. beyond just the phone, right? And so, you know, the vision kind of of the company as we're really going to this next level is to create the most amount of value back to people. And we're taking the software and essentially starting to kind of more create the Roku style business model. Yeah, yeah. And so that essentially- You, you create an environment that you own. Um, and yeah, you can... and, and I don't envision us to be the hardware manufacturer in the future. That's not in my core business. We are a software company. We don't make money really on the hardware at all. And what we're essentially doing, you know, what Roku found in probably 2015 was a very smart, you know, that ultimately led them to being a 10 plus billion dollar company is that they were like, hey, we're going to license our Roku, you know, streaming service to a television manufacturer like TCL or RCA or whatever it might be. Those manufacturers are going to make their margin, which is actually a pretty difficult business. But this is why televisions have gone from $1,000 to $100. And now there's a new company coming out that is giving a free TV and it's all streaming supported. One of the co-founders of Pluto TV just launched this like last week called Telly. He's got over 100,000 signups in one day. So this model is coming. And because all the model, all the revenue is coming from the revenue of the advertising and the data streaming. Yeah. But we see- manufacturing's already super slim margins anyway. It's like Unless you're 5%. Apple, unless you're selling it for $2,000. That's marketing. I mean, they have a yeah. huge, they have a 70% margin, but it's all marketing, right? Yeah. Like, 
And, you know, there's a specific IP around that. So, you know, the thesis is around, you know, there's 7 billion smartphones in the world. You know, about 1 billion of them are iPhones. There's 6 billion Androids. Most people in the world are more budget conscious consumers. We started more budget conscious and we're starting to see kind of an uptick into like the middle income, upper middle, especially as we're launching new subscription style products. But we intend to then see, you know, what we want to see in the marketplace is kind of like a Samsung earned phone, a Motorola earned phone. And we're just kind of licensing and getting the mm, distribution. Just like that. Um, yeah. And that's essentially the Roku style model. But I see it as a much larger market because today there are 700 million households with smart TVs, but there are 7 billion people that own smartphones. The average household, the average person is watching about two hours of television a day. The average person is spending 40 hours a week on their phone, right? Mm. And that's only going up, especially as you go through the younger generations, Gen Z, so on and so yeah, forth. Sure. So we see it as unlocking a new asset class and we see it as like really a, a movement in the first kind of you know massive development since the creation of the iPhone. So now you guys are looking to crowdfund yep. and grow the company to big size, IPO, yep. have a bunch of users who are actual customers of yours, but also own a piece of the company. Yes. Right? And then they get a payout to use the phone and yes. a payout to invest in the phone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're, yes. They're yeah. earning with you and making money with you as exactly. you build this massive and, and I think like, you know, one of the awesome things about, you know, where we're heading in society and a lot of this is already happening in Web3 and we're doing kind of through more, you know, the, this, this traditional way, which was like, okay, what the paradigm that has, that exists in like that older environment is like these people are users. Internally, we refer to our users as earners, right? It's mm. like really like we turn users into earners and now we're turning earners into owners, if yeah. you think about it. And the reason that we chose crowdfunding uh, was twofold. One, we're a consumer-centric company that has a moonshot vision, right? Of like, you know, this is a massive business opportunity. But the idea is like, can we take these consumers and our earners and turn them into those shareholders and really build community, build ambassadorship? So now they're earning money, but they're also getting exposed to you know the upside of that company. And you could do that through Reg A+, which is a framework that the SEC through the Jobs Act came, and you can raise up to $75 million a year. Now, the benefit to a company like mine that is a consumer company that you're, cult or you're advocating a new type of concept, such as EarnPhone, and having a large user base is that you essentially also get brand awareness to your to on, on your product. Yeah. So now I can run marketing campaigns just how I would with LTV to CAC for retail investors, whether it's accredited or unaccredited. But more importantly, we diluted our shares all the way down to like eight cents a share so that we could essentially then provide micro shares with every redemption to users and free shares to users. Mm -hmm. So now they're earning money and we have users that earn you know hundreds of dollars a month, thousands of dollars a year. In addition, they are also becoming owners of the business. And that mm. is a really powerful. And so our goal is, you know, over the course of the next few years is to go public with over a million investors and be the first company to do so. And because we're taking the entire user base of the Earn OS, whether it be through our app, whether it be through our devices, and and make them into, you know, members and shareholders and stakeholders of the business. How old are you, Dan? I'm 34. 34. And so you you must have like a Harvard MBA or something. No, no Harvard. No, that's not part of the yeah, story. No school of hard knocks. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, no, I, I yeah say that obviously sarcastically because you know, almost nobody that comes on my show and went the traditional path. There's always yeah. a story behind the story. So let, yeah. let's let's dive in a little bit further into into your history here because yeah, like well, like I said when I when I heard this, you guys have over 50 million app installs, 40 million over 40 million registered. Yeah, audience yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's not like. 
it's not like you're blowing smoke here. Like we're, yeah. we're not here talking about this. Like it's a pipe dream. Like this is the first ever phone you've ever made. And you're hoping to get a couple of users and see how it works. Like this is something yep. that's been years in the making. You yep. have tens of millions of users. Yep. If anybody's actually set up to see this goal, this massive goal accomplished, it's definitely you guys. So yep. I'm, I'm obviously rooting for you guys and, and you know, ha happy to help however I can. Uh, but I want to go back into the story here and really dig into how, how did, how did we get here? So let's start yep. with, uh, I know you started doing stuff pretty young when you were in your teens, started, yep. you know, making good money before you even graduated high school. So yep. let's go earlier than that. Even 10, 11 year old Dan set the <laughs> scene for us. Tell us about where you were yeah. at that time. Okay. So, so as background, I'm, I'm from Brazil originally, Sao Paulo, okay. Brazil, big city. When I was a kid, I moved to a town called Columbus, Indiana, which is a small town relatively in Indiana. How, how, how young? like two, three, but I would always okay. spend my whole life up until I was 18, about nine months in Indiana, three months in Brazil. Okay. So, so the rest Spanish, your first language then? Uh, Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah. And, right, then, yeah. and then, yeah, and I speak Spanish. But the reason I set that stage is that, you know, because I would always transition and always go visit the rest of my family. And it's like two drastically different environments. Like, you know, you have like, you know, the Midwest where like, you know, like my Pence is from my town, like to give you an idea, like, okay. you know, and then there's, you know, a lot of agriculture and all this stuff. And there's an eclectic mix of people because there's this multi-billion dollar company called Cummins. That's what brought us there. My dad used to work at that company. Oh, really? Um, okay. and, uh, and then there's like, you know, like what you'd expect there. So it's a very different environment. And going into Brazil, it's like the city and all that stuff. As a kid, I would always notice the differences of the different cultures. Yeah. So what that ultimately created is like as a 10, 11, 12 year old kid, you know, I was like, yeah, I would go to like, you know, in Brazil and I go to the newsstands and I buy like Playboy magazines and I would sell them to kids on papers for 20 bucks each. Yeah. I made a few hundred bucks. Then I got in big trouble, you know, my mom. And then like, she was so embarrassed. Like my parents were just like, they think that it's your dad's now and this, this and that, uh, which that was a whole, that was a whole problem. Uh, and so, you know, anyways, then, so then I, I, I graduated from doing that because I was like, you know, that's not going to work. And so the next thing I found was like, actually there was this really interesting arbitrage I re I've always really loved Japanese food. Sushi is my favorite food. Okay. But so my mom would take me to this Japanese grocery store in our town. And I noticed that they had Japanese Pokemon cards. And these were like the second or third edition. You know, I remember when kids were buying these Pokemon cards. And I know Pokemon's made this big comeback now. Yeah. But it was really popular back then when, you know, oh, yeah. like, you know, call it like 97 or whatever, mm -hmm. 98. And you could buy them at Target. And then you get the Charizard or the Blastoise. And those things were like, you know, 40 bucks for a Charizard, right? I remember that. But if you bought the second, third generation that were Japanese, they were all in like literally Japanese, you can get these different type Pokemons. There's way more holographic. So I would buy those and then trade the kids and be like, this is a custom, you know, thing here. And then they'd give me their Charizards and I would go to the card store and I would just rip the arbitrage. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that was just how I was like kind of wired. And then, you know, it was when I was like 15. Why, why do you think you're that way? Do you, were your parents that way at all? Like, were they, were they kind of working class? You said you yeah, worked at this other company, a, yeah, a corporation. My they were not, yeah. My parents are entrepreneurs. You know, they, my dad was, you know, kind of an engineer by trade that moved more on the business side of things. But, hmm. and my mom was just a very like encouraging person that's like you yeah. know you can do like oh like dan could be an astronaut if he wants to be that yeah and so but i don't know i was just kind of like i've always just uh, always wired i've just always wired this way i don't know yeah. my, i know that my great grandparents and grandparents were entrepreneurs and stuff so okay. maybe it's like in that kind of bloodline but you know i started working in a company when i was 15 because my dad like wouldn't buy me some some things that i wanted for my car and so i started working at polo and there's a factory outlet by my house and man i i remember doing like two weeks of work there and I was standing up and I'm like, I'm 16. I'm in like the best shape of my life, 15, whatever. 
And, uh, and I remember thinking, man, my lower back hurts. And I was like, then I got that first paycheck and I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be great. And even though I knew the hourly rate, but mathematically didn't like convert it. And I was like, $85. I was like, how is that possible that I just made $85 and I'm breaking my back here? That's and like two I, Pokemon cards. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I was like, I was making more money when I was like a kid. Like, yeah, right. like when I was 10, you know? Right. And, and on top of that, I have to go to Arby's and buy these food. And it's like, that's like half my paycheck. So I was like pissed. Then I noticed there was this big group of like, you know, Asians came through the store and they bought like 50 grand worth of stuff on a random Sunday that no one was there or it was a Tuesday or something. And it was just me and one other person. And I'm like, man, we just sold 50K worth of stuff. I was like, my manager's surely going to give me a bonus of some sort because yeah. it wasn't a commission thing. And I got like a $20 gift card to like, or two $10 gift cards to like literally <laughs> the, the same Arby's. And I'm like, that's unfair. I was like, if they knew <laughs> that I had a 40% discount that I could have made like 15 grand yeah. and I could have sold them for half. I was like, I should have made five. That's And then, and so in my head, and I was like, that's a good idea. You know what? I started just going around the store and taking, I had a palm trio at the time and I was like taking every single- Palm trio. Baby. Yeah, the 600, oh, yeah. the 600 now. P, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And so essentially I was taking it and taking all these like kind of like item numbers. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to just cross-reference them on eBay. And then I found this one leather jacket because I'm already at the factory outlet mall, right? With the forty percent, I was able to get this leather jacket for like one hundred fifty bucks, but it was selling on eBay for you know three hundred, three hundred fifty. Mm. So my dad had an emergency credit card that was for like emergencies that I like something <laughs> happened. I have no idea even what the credit limit was on this thing, and I just bought four of them because I knew that we had a return policy as long as I kept the receipt and I did not touch the tags, I could return it for myself. If you didn't uh, sell them, uh, yeah, within yeah. a week or two. So I come home and my dad is furious. He's like, "What? What do you like? You know?" I was like, "Dad, these are going to definitely sell." And it's not a big deal because I can return it. He's like, and he had a flip. My mom like, you know, settled him down. And then I just listed him that night. flashbacks to the Playboys. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I've always kind of like brought my parents to, there's, like, there's some unique <laughs> yeah. situations that happen over the years. So, so that essentially like happens. And my mom, or so, and then I list them that night. And dude, like of the four, three sold. Cause I, you know, I just listed them at 300 bucks and I literally made $300 like profit after yeah. the shipping whole deal. And so I just started doing, I started doing it so much that my manager was like, Hey, like, what are you buying all these jackets for? And I was like, my family. And, but he knew I was from Brazil. <laughs> and the guy's like, he's You're like spending twice it, of your weekly like, paycheck on yeah. jackets. And I was like, they just really love these jackets. And then he's like, but you, but you're from Brazil. It's like 90 degrees there. And I was like, oh yeah, but they're expensive there, but there's like different parts and like, you know, people in that. And so it kind of got, one manager was cool with it. The general manager was not. And then they like, you know, People start thinking like, is he selling and whatever. So what I did was like, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna even deal with that. I just told every other employee that if you buy the jackets, like you buy one or two a week or like every couple of weeks, I'll give you an extra 30 bucks. <laughs> and dude, I literally had a monopoly on these jackets. I was only there as an employee for like three months because I would always just say I can't come to work because I just wanted to stay there for the employee discount. But anyways, eventually I heard I was gonna get canned. So I decided to quit first, but I made like, 20 some thousand dollars, $25,000 in four months. Arbitrage on jackets. Arbitrage on the old jackets. And so then I had some starting capital, right? Yeah. And the opportunity that kind of led is I met this other guy that was selling kind of electronics. And Where'd you meet him? I just found this guy that was, he was selling iPods on eBay. And I was like, this is a very, like, these are good deals. And, you know, it turns out to be this guy, this, he, had an, he was an electronic distributor in Miami. He had this unique contact with Apple where he was a Latin American distributor. And they were selling kind of excess stock. Mm -hmm. I hit him up, tell him I'm a 15, 16 year old kid, but he should trust me because I did this, this and this. And 
he basically gave me the same pricing that he was giving people that were buying 10,000, 20,000, like millions of dollars. Wow. Because he told me, he's like, you remind me of myself, right? Um, as a kid. And so he was like kind of my first mentor. And, you know, I went down to Miami, you know, he took me out. It was like, you know, he was a very like pivotal person in my life at that point in time. Yeah. And, uh, and then I noticed there was the other opportunities in arbitrage, but this way it was actually a different arbitrage where I noticed that the, a lot of these electronics overseas and this is going back to Brazil, because one thing I noticed is that in Brazil, my cousins would always be like, hey, can you bring a PS3? Can you bring an Xbox? Can you bring an iPod? And, you know, to set the stage of how Brazil operates, it's like everything is taxed at a two to three times higher value if it's an imported good. Hmm. Because the thesis behind the Brazilian government, what they want to do is kind of like, hey, they want to have things produced there. So a lot of like car companies like Ford, they'll you can bring parts in without that crazy import tax, but they want to create jobs. So a Ferrari, for example, will cost like, you know, if it's 300K here, it's 1.2 million there. The other issue in Brazil is that the income is one-tenth of what people may make here. Mm. So, you know, it's very, it's an interesting market. What I notice is like, oh, okay, this MacBook costs $1,000 here. In Brazil, it costs $3,000, you know? And so, and it's, and for many, back in the day, this isn't the case now, there was a three to six month lag sometimes of when a product would come out in the US because it's always the first market that hits. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into these like Latin American countries. So oftentimes people can't even get it. So there's an even higher upcharge because only the rich of the rich is yeah, buying yeah. those things. So I noticed that arbitrage and I was like, okay, I'm going to be the first person to sell those things there. So I was the first person to sell PS3s in Brazil. Wow. And I paid 10 of my high school friends to wait at Walmart, Circuit City. And for 30 hours when the PS3 came out, because there's only 600,000 came out in the world. Yeah. And I gave them each 300 bucks. Yeah, they were I different them in the States. They were very difficult else, back yeah. then. Yeah, I'm like 16, 17 at the time. And uh, dude, I was selling these things for five, $6,000 back in Brazil. Wow. And so that was like more starting capital. And then, you know, I started to notice the arbitrage in other countries. So I started buying phones here, unlocking the phones like Blackberries mm. overseas. And so, you know, all said and done, by the time I was like, you know, freshman in college, whatever, this business was doing a couple million dollars a year in revenue. And it was, I was all doing it all through eBay and Amazon. So it was like, you know, I didn't even know what the word F FBA was there, yeah, you know, and, right, and like, right. you know, the, the but that's just kind of how we operated. And, uh, you know, I had my mom shipping and stuff, like all the FedEx ladies knew her. She was like shipping like a hundred packages every single day. At, at what point did your parents go from like, what are you doing to... Uh, are you hiring? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> my mom, like day one, my dad kind of like, you know, took a, <laughs> took a little longer. But yeah, I mean, it was just like an interesting experience. And like my whole basement was like inventory. It was like literally like yeah. come to my house, there's like 40 MacBooks and like, you know, PS3s <laughs> and all that stuff. And it was just kind of like a funny thing. But, you know, they gave me a lot of leeway to do things. You know, like my dad would call me and for skip sick for school. And my school was supportive too, you know, and that opened up the door. And I ultimately did go to college. And a lot of this, these things like opened the door to scholarships and I ended up going to, you know, business school in Indiana, Kelly business school. Oh, cool. And, um, but, and then that opened up a whole new world. Cause then I actually got into digital marketing and ran like a very large, you know, like fraternity centric music site where there was like a million people a month listening to my playlists on that. Cause that's when I moved, moved more into digital. And that kind of led the foundation of then, you know, meeting my co-founder after college, you know, ran a bunch of businesses there and I used all this capital from these businesses I'd run. And, you know, at the time I wanted to build an app, it was right when the iPhone was coming out. Okay. And I had this really amazing hack. It was like, you know, I paid like 25 bucks to Fiverr had just come out. Right. Okay. And there was a TV show. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was a TV show on Bloomberg for Techstars. And Techstars had a TV show for like one or two season. And basically if you won the people's choice for this commercial for your startup, you would get a meeting with David Tish, who okay. was the managing partner at Techstars at the time. Yeah. 
So I buy this video for like, you know, $10 on, on Fiverr. And for those listening to Techstars is a tech accelerator. Uh, yeah, it's like Y Combinator, yeah. competitor or whatever. And, and you get on the TV show. And then all you have to do is get a bunch of votes. And I like had, you know, ways of how to growth hack that, growth mm -hmm. mindset that, and I ended up winning. And it was, I, my whole cost and this whole thing was like 30 bucks. And then I get there, I'm on the TV show, or like we're on the TV show as the winner, and then I go meet David Tish. The interview goes horrible. I don't get into tech stars. So <laughs> that didn't work out. But because it was just kind of like, I wasn't like fully thinking it through yeah. on what the startup even was. Like yeah. I, it had the worst name, it's called Wizora. And I was like, it was the Pandora for food. And it was like such a bad business idea. But I, it was my recollection of the experience was that was the best 25, 30 bucks I've ever spent in my entire life, hmm. right? So my next thought was like, okay, well, I have this site, this music site that people are listening to still, and I want to make an app for it. There's a big opportunity there. So I go on Fiverr's like, is there anyone that's willing to make an app, right? And yeah. I see someone that I just posted the day before, like, we'll make an app for five bucks. So I just hit up this person. I'm like, hey, like, can you make an app for five bucks? And then I get a reply. And, you know, I read the name and the name is K-I-R-A-N. And I read like Kiran and I'm like, maybe he's from Bangladesh. He's like, no, five bucks can't do it, but I can do it for 85 bucks. And I'm like, okay, like no, no, no expectations. Cause we're talking about 85 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, sure. Tell him the thing. He's like, you know, three weeks later comes with like a prototype of the app. And I was actually like able to play with it with like test flight. And I was like 85 bucks. So I started talking to this kid. Turns out he's a high schooler, 17 years old from the UK and he listed himself on Fiverr because he just read programming books and didn't feel comfortable with his skills, but wanted to get some real live work. Mm. And his name was Kieran. And and then basically he was like, yeah, I, I told him I just had graduated college. He's like, yeah, I'm just about to graduate high school and then I'm going to college. And then I'm like, I launched this app, maybe like two weeks later we finalized it and it made like 10K, right? Great ROI. Right. And I was like, dude, you should move here to Chicago and we should start a startup, right? And I convinced him to take a gap year of school and move there. And his parents allowed it to happen. I was happen, gonna say, what did his parents say? Well, so his dad ends up having this crazy story where his dad got an invite to start a startup when he was around, not Kieran's age, but maybe a little older. Okay. And because he was kind of like starting out his life, he wasn't able to. That startup ended up becoming the largest hardware chip company in the world, so one oh of the multi-billion dollar companies. And his dad, I mean, he's very successful, has had a bunch of like exits and stuff, Sure, was still like, you know, did I, that's the only conclusion I have is like, they didn't want to hold that back for him. Yeah. So he comes to the Chicago and you think like, okay, like now it's going to be great. And we kind of just struggle for a year. We don't yeah. really do anything. Like we do some stuff, but not, not enough. And he's, so he's like, dude, I have to go back to school, but I'm down to work on this part-time. I'm like, okay. You know, my, my startup dreams, like sure. now, now we have the tech stars thing, now I have this. We come up with this idea like before his freshman week and we just kind of like, you know, hack it together. And it ended up becoming this like this Instagram. It was the first Instagram liking app, okay. and so Facebook had just acquired Instagram maybe a few months before. So it was a relatively infancy in the product, and it wasn't what it is today. But basically, the way the algorithm worked on Instagram was if you can get the most likes on a photo, you hit the explore page, and yeah. it was like the algorithm would hit it. Yep. What we came up with was an exchange system that basically like you can post your photo, and then someone could like it, and if they follow, if they followed you, they would get one coin or two coins if they followed you. If you didn't want to do any of that, you can just buy in-app purchases. We launched this app, hack it together. I remember the day it launched and I was like traveling in New York and it had three hours in the day and somehow it made like 800 bucks. And I thought it was an error, right? Mm. And I was like, so the next goes by and I'm seeing this app like trickle through, it refreshes every three hours in the charts and it's trickling through to like number four, number six in the top of the app store as a paid app that has an app purchase as well. 
Wow. And then I'm looking at the grossing charts and we're in like the 70th, 80th. And the app is like broken type stuff. Like it's it's whatever. And then the next day it comes and it's like made $14,000. Then the next day, $20,000. And so this kid's in his freshman, you know, <laughs> year of yeah, college. About to start freshman week. Yeah. yeah. And like, and it's like, you know, and we're making like, like three, 400, 500, 600K a month. And so this is happens, kind of continues. He's working his part time. And then I was like, hey, like, I think that like we should, you know, we should do a startup like and, and you know, we could either expand on this or we can work on other apps like an app studio. And at the time I had an investor that reached out, was just like interested in what we were doing. And I kind of was like, look, like I don't know why I need money because like we're, you know, we're making a lot of money. But he was needed a visa in order to come here because you need a special visa if you're not a college graduate. And he was only 18, so he was not a college graduate. And but if we were able to get the fu like funding, we could apply for a special visa and have a much higher likelihood of getting it approved. Gotcha. So we ended up striking a deal for a million and a half bucks at the time. We get an investment and then he drops out of school and then moved here. And till this day, this person is my co-founder. Yeah. So I met my co-founder on Fiverr and That's we so fun, then man. built this company and have run a lot of different like businesses along the way and several yeah. iterations, had some exits. But, you know, it all started with that Fiverr story, you know. So I think like the, the moral of the story is I've always kind of like taken a like I feel like the world people typically like, you know, see it here, you know, and then like, you know, for me, I'm always like trying to look outside, you know, I'm using someone else's hands here. And it's like kind of like mm. thinking outside the box and whether that's, you know, things like the crowdfunding, whether it's like other formats that we've done for our fundraising, even how we created this business. Yeah. It's like, is everything going to work? No. But you know, thinking outside the box and really going for those moonshot opportunities and you just never know what will happen, right, in that sense. And I think that that's kind of been always attached to the DNA of, of how I approach things. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Has there ever been a vision that you had that came to fruition exactly how you looked at it from the beginning? 
probably no. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like it's And there's it's, been dozens of adventures since yeah. you were 15 till now. Yeah. I mean, I would say like this, like yes, and maybe the correct answer is it's really a yes and no. It's like there is iterations that occur along the way. Always. I think the most important thing that you can do as an entrepreneur, you know, actually just as a, a citizen, if you're human, is take everything and then use like the data that's coming to you and then kind of adjust accordingly because you're going to learn more. Yeah. I think that I come off like, you know, with a lot of different ideas and visions about things. And then, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but they only work because we're also kind of like adjusting as we go. Yeah. But, you know, you have to like be very, not, not decisive, but it's like, I, I think, you know, as a CEO, I think my biggest strength and sometimes that's my biggest treat, weakness is, is, is setting vision. And, you know, there are some CEOs that are really good operation, operators. Mm -hmm. I, that's not like, that's something I struggle more with. Yeah. And I have to really focus on either hiring for that or training myself to be like, you know, disciplined in that nature. So it's not where I, you know, have my exactly. strength. Sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 What, what is, what have you found to be the best modality for you? Is it, is it bearing down and forcing yourself into that? position or is it yeah. more hiring or partnering with people who can be the operator? Well, I think I have, I still haven't been able to find, you yeah. know, I, I mean, I, I resort, there's things in my team that I just like have been able to find other great, you know, people to run, whether it's, you know, people or finance, like things that I, I'm just not that person to, mm -hmm. to think about those parts. I do struggle in some components like around, you know, so I first attempt is always like hire people. Right. But then the problem is like, there are certain things that I sometimes don't even know how to hire for. You know, I have struggled that on the product side of things, like really find someone that can lead product, product vision or this idea, because usually I kind of like, you know, I like to be in, in that driver's seat for mm -hmm. that. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also not the best executor. And sometimes like I need a counterbalance to my, you know, kind of like idea, 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 idea. Sure. And I think that's why I've worked so well with my co-founder because he is more of a, like naturally a skeptic. He's a, he's more technical or whatever. And so he'll kind of like help me guide there. And we have disagreed and committed on several things. But generally, I think like the modalities that I typically try and even do within my week is like, I am either in a networking mode or I have a networking day or I have a work day. And so I have certain days in the week that it's like, we're just like work, work focused, Project like we're not based. doing advanced yeah. or anything. And then like, I try and stack my schedule to be very specific on the day itself. But I also even like now, like, you know, I'm on this podcast, like there are, there are streaks of time where I go and do like media centric things yeah. and been on TV and do podcasts and news and all that stuff. Then there's times like heads down building. I am in heads down building mode for the next like two or three years. And I find it difficult sometimes to do both on mm. um, those times. So I'm still trying to figure out how to do that because I think that that is like what I do need to do. To, and, to be able to do both, you're saying? Yeah, and in a more thoughtful way because I don't think it like needs to be one or the other. Sure. You just, I, I just try to be intentional when I go out and want to do media. And there, what is the purpose? Like, yeah. am I trying to advocate something? Am I trying to market something? Am yeah. I trying to meet people? Am I doing an investment round? Am I like, what am I doing? And sometimes you just need to be heads down and focused and you, you, you can't do everything. You know what I mean? There's, you only have a certain amount of hours in the week. Yeah. There's certainly a line where you just start getting pulled into other people's agendas way too often Yep. where you feel like you can't say no. So you just say yes. And yes. all of a sudden you look at your calendar and it's like 80% of your time is for other people instead of for exactly. you your business and your employees. And well, and I think the problem is sometimes like, even, at least I struggle with myself is I say yes to myself too much too. Cause mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm just like, I, 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 man, I like, it's, it's like a blessing and a curse, but like sometimes I just like have all these ideas, especially at night and I can't sleep, totally. uh, but but it's like not that I can't sleep because I have like, you know, you know, forget what it's called, but when you can't sleep at night, 
Um, insomnia. Yeah, insomnia. It's just that like, I'm so excited you yeah. know, about something. I mean, there are times where you're not excited and you're like, I really need to figure that out. Totally. But there are other times where you're just like, I'm pumped. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm really pumped. That's a really good idea. I really need to remember that tomorrow. Yeah. You know, and then you're just like, man, I only slept 30 minutes, you know, and then you're destroyed. The next day. <laughs> exactly. And so that's, that's like me saying no to myself is sometimes very difficult. I hear that, dude. Yeah. There's yeah. sometimes my wife will just be like, it's like 2 a.m. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm just like over there, like typing something on my notes just yeah. so I don't forget it. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to forget this in the morning if I don't remember to write this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now. So yeah. Like, yeah. Then I'll wake up in the morning and sometimes just have like literally like 2000 words of just random yeah. notes that have come to my brain from like nine, 9 PM when I initially tried to start going to sleep. Yeah. Till like 3 yeah. 3 AM. It's like, <laughs> how long does it take you to wind down? Five hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, literally. Exactly. yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I get that. That's like, I try to keep my phone like in a different room now, but sometimes like the urge is so strong. It's like, I got to go in that room and I got to just write it, yeah, you know, right. yeah, get, so. just get it out of my brain at yeah. least. Yeah. Yeah. And then you uh, like five melatonins, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. When when you said you said earlier you kind of you know look at it as like working and then there's networking, what is what do networking activities look like for you? So networking activities is um, I mean it could look it could be more things. I mean like the mastermind is a networking activity. Like you know people look at these masterminds as I mean there's a pretty significant costs being mm -hmm. some of them right, but you have to see, like the people that are going there they're investing in themselves and there's a reason they can even afford to be there in the first place, yeah. and you know the ROI that I've gotten from events or masterminds far outweighs any cost of that because there's you know like this like look i wouldn't have been on this podcast we wouldn't have, like there's there's a, a a vertical in our business that we're kind of exploring now yeah. because of a conversation i have with you passively because we happen to be in the same room right in this one place and the amount of times that has happened because one little thing led to another thing is like you know is, is crazy and so you know those are like you know i'm very intentional about those and which ones i join other forms of networking. And sometimes these are actually more difficult for me to say yes to. Like I'm actually here like in Vegas right now because I'm at a, a conference called Mao and we have a bunch of partners and stuff, but I only decided to come here on Sunday because like, I was like, do I, should I really go there for this conference? I was like, mm, I, could, I could do everything like via a video if I need to, like what would I actually do? But like I came here and like I had so many new opportunities that just had popped up and even like things that we brainstormed with some of these partners that I think is gonna you know, create eight figure opportunities in the very near term. And, you know, I just came, you just got to go. And sometimes yeah. like that networking is harder for me to say yes to, but it's, I always am always like, when I leave, I'm like, thank God I went. Like, exactly. You know, it's yeah. difficult, man. Cause like that, that's the, we used to try to sell when, back when I first started my show it was called build your network. So we used to try to teach a lot about networking and building relationships and mm -hmm. how important it is and why you should do it intentionally and all these other things. The most difficult part about selling like networking, whatever courses, educational products mm -hmm. is exactly what you're saying mm -hmm. is that there's no guarantee. Exactly. I can't sit here and be like, Hey man, if you go to that event, you're when you walk away, you're going to get, you're going to, you you will have met this person that can lead to eight figures of business for you. Exactly. Like I, I can't say that that's yeah. going to happen, Yeah. but it's for sure not going to happen if you don't go. Exactly. <laughs> you know that's, what I mean? That, yeah. That's so. the other thing. I mean, and it's a really difficult thing because like when I'm at home, I can actually execute. It's like that focus time. Yeah. And you can come up with ideas and walk and you could rest and you have a routine. Those things are really nice. You know, like right now I'm like, you know, 10 hours of sleep in three days, you know, and I'm, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm energized, but I know that that's not healthy for me. Sure. So 
Your you know, aura ring reminds you of that every morning. When I, you wake man, up. I, I've yeah. had it off for two weeks because I've been on one right now, like with these different you know events and things. And I'm, yeah. I don't even like to see us work because it creates like subconscious stress, <laughs> yeah, right. you know. And so I'm like, when I get back, you know, do a nice NAD plus, get the aura <laughs> ring like charged up, and then like I'm back on the routine. How, how do you like the NAD? Oh man, game changer. Yeah. I well, I do it intravenously. Okay, but I do like, like once yeah, like once a quarter or something or no man, I go once every like like four to six weeks and then i do glutathione high dose glutathione 1200 milligrams like three every three weeks okay so explain what the nad does for for those that are listening because this yeah. is something that i actually probably less than a year ago heard about for the first time sure and then the more i'm talking to more people about it the more i realize how many people are, are starting yeah to so i'm not going to give the because i'm not i'm not like the full you know like expert experts sure. in you know exactly the the, the, the process that i kind of like the, on a molecular level mm -hmm. but fundamentally your cells are essentially kind of like, you know, like dying, yeah. like, right? And They're oxidizing. Uh, and oxidizing, one, yeah. exactly. And uh, and NAD is a component of that, right? And it's actually, you know, it, it, that is what creates age. Age is actually the number one cause of death, right? Because, you know, I was actually at this this thing called Summit at Sea this past weekend. It's kind of like Burning Man meets Ted. Okay. And there was a, you know, a bunch of amazing entrepreneurs, Richard Branson, all these people were there. But the this, this doctor named Mark Hyman, very well known, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I figured, yeah, you might. He's like part of the network. He had something that was like kind of stuck with me. Uh, I was listening to his talk. He's like, okay, how many how many years do you think that if like we were able to get rid of heart disease or cancer would extend human life, right? Like, now I'm just curious. Like, what do you think? How many? How if, many? If years heart disease was like gone, right? Like like heart mm -hmm. heart attacks, things mm -hmm. like that, or cancer. If, if it was just like we solved it for it, how many years do you think that the human lifespan would increase? Uh, decade. Yeah, so that's actually very close. It was, like, it was like five to six years for each, right? So okay. it was about 10 years. If you can heal aging, like revert aging or stop the aging process, it was like 40 years. Wow. People would live on average to 120, which is like really interesting, yeah. right? And, you know, like that was very- It's a different problem to solve for. Right, because yeah. aging is the ultimate death killer, right? And so high level, what the NAD is doing is it's anti-aging, right? It is replenishing your body and making it so that it is aging slower, it's, right? It's replenishing the compound in your cell that's responsible for aging when it starts deteriorating. Exactly. Like when NAD, like you already produce NAD exactly. right, when you're young, but when you yeah. get older, you produce less and less and less and less and less. Exactly. So this basically gives you a dose of that yes so that it prevents you from from aging literally, literally. at a cellular level yes yeah. and you feel this if you do it intravenously you feel it it kind of is yeah. it's it's uncomfortable i sort of like it but my wife says i'm kind of psychotic that i kind of like it <laughs> but it's like because i feel it's kind of like a nice little you know a little buzz you know but yeah but it's it, you know so so that and then and then the and the glutathione it, at high doses glutathione is extremely you know effective for anti-inflammation Okay. And for me, I've always had struggled with gut issues for the last 10 years. And so it's part of my regimen and I feel it. I see it, you know, how my body reacts and the places that I kind of like feel inflammation yeah. and, and whatnot. So, you know, those are part of the things I take along with like peptides and, um, okay. you know, digestive enzymes. And I, I mean, I'm very gut focused because that's always been a thing, but I know, you know, there's a bunch of guys from the mastermind that do peptides in a totally different format for sleep or sure. for, you know, like muscle, muscle gain, gain yeah. like all that stuff. I haven't messed with that stuff yet, but I do like the research grade peptides for this gut inflammation thing. And man, I am like, it's like the biggest game changer 
that I've ever been exposed to mm. in the last like, you know, like, you know, year uh, yeah. or not year, but like in my lifetime. But like I only was exposed to it like last year and it was just like big change. Have you messed with stem cells at all? So I've looked in some, I actually went to the Stem Cell Institute in Panama. Okay. I tried to actually just do a walk-up appointment. And the guy's like, my friend, we have a wait list for six months. And I was like, well, can I see the 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 center? Because I happened to be in Panama for a connecting flight. And I was like, maybe yeah. I can just do the stem cell while I'm here. And the guy looks at me like I was a fool, yeah. you know? And I was like, but I read the book, you know, the stem cell therapy. Yeah, dude, I mean, I've considered, I haven't, I haven't personally done it yet, but I've considered doing it and read a lot into it. And I'm, you know, it's like kind of like a next phase thing, you know, to me sure, where it's sure. like, you know, because you have to be careful with this type of stem cells if you're doing like umbilical cord stem cells or and like, you know, the source of it. Cause like, you know, it, you know, depending those places are very like reputable, but I mean, I'm really into that science, whether it was that I've looked into like, even like things like, you know, with people that have gut health, like even fecal transplants and like, I haven't mm -hmm. done that. I haven't had to, but it's something like I consider everything. Like, yeah, I, sure. And I've always been kind of like gravitated towards, you know, I found out about Wim Hof like eight years ago and I actually studied with him in a small group of 20 people before, like right around that vice video that came out before, like he really he blew up yeah. and got into the ice bath stuff. And like, you know, I'm always like looking for that next you know thing. And I just think, cause like you can perform at like your highest level or yeah. counterbalance things that genetically have either already in me or that through outside factors have impacted me in a specific way, right? Like whether it's, you know, chronic illness or, yeah. you know, you get, you know, I, I had like a meningitis kind of thing when I was 22 oh, wow. and it was like a very scary time. And I feel like my system changed after that. Well, I think a common denominator of high performers is they realize that at some point along their journey, they eventually have a realization that they are their number one asset. Yes. Your ability to perform at your highest level mm -hmm. is the difference between doing a million a year or doing a hundred million a year. Yeah. It's literally like it is that big of a difference. So yeah. you are not constantly trying to optimize yourself, trying to learn how to be a better version of you, whether that's through knowledge, whether that's through physical health, yeah. which also is better for mental health, which allows you to think better, yeah. allows you to communicate better, yep. allows you to meet better people. Like at some point, I feel like every high performer I've had a conversation with had some sort of realization along yeah. the way that is like, oh, it's not really about like, not it's not even about investing as much into assets at first. Mm -hmm. At first it's like, I am the number one asset. Exactly. Because I'm the only asset that I can invest in that has a sure return. Exactly. Every time. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you, and it's like, you don't, and you're in yourself day to day. So I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's happening overnight. And it yeah. always seems slower to us, but I think the reflective thing, component of that too is that you know, for me, I had a big realization. I was like, man, like 33,000, right? That's right now, that is the average amount of days that a person lives. Mm -hmm. that, and when you say 33,000, it's like not that much. Like and when we're, you know, 34, you know, you're you're halfway there. You're not 14,000. And, you know, and then so when you can account for things like that, whether that's in your relationships with like, you know, for me, anytime I get really, you know, frustrated with a family member or some situation with someone that I care about and we have those, you know, in, our, in, in your family and loved ones. It's like, you know, like in my life, I spent the most time I would ever spend with my parents from the ages of zero to 18. Mm -hmm. And now if you do mathematically like, hey, well, I may see your parent, your parents like, you know, once every three months or once every two months or whatever it might be, yeah. you're dealing like four to six times a year. If their average lifespan is another like 10 years, we're talking about another 50 visits, 60 visits. So is it really worthwhile to have a pissed off conversation with someone that you love? Because if you do it as a countdown of 50, 59, 57, 56, that changes the game. 
Um, so it could go from things of that nature situation, or even like, you know, I wear black every day for the last eight years of my life. And people, I like how it looks, so that's why I do it. But mathematically, it also saves me approximately 10 minutes a day, right? And it's also much easier to pack and travel, and I always do carry-ons, I never have to deal with that stuff, so I'm always on the move and easy on the go. Yep. But if you mathematically do it, every single day, um, if I'm saving 10 minutes, it's 240 hours a month, or sorry, it's 300 minutes a month, which is, you know, let's say five hours. And then over a year, that's 60 hours, which is two and a half waking days. And then two and a half waking days times you doing that for 30 years, it's like 60 waking days. And yeah. then if you mathematically do that, it's like an extra eight months of life, yeah. right? Of like actual time, just because I didn't decide to like, pick my clothes Choose and everything clothes, matches, yeah. right? And uh, and so it's like, there's so many different things like that that you can yeah. do and account for. And that's kind of like, I think, you know, a lot of high performers think about things in that way. And arguably even more of a difference than that because it, contributes to decision fatigue when you have to decide on stuff like that and yeah every day you have like this decision fatigue threshold exactly and like, that's why like at the end of the day my wife and i you know she she works full-time and and takes care of the kids a lot and then i you know have these couple businesses and everything i'm super busy by the end of the day when we, we're trying to decide what's for dinner neither one of us can decide what's for dinner you know what I mean? because it's just like neither like one life. of us wants to make the decision it's just like oh, i don't Literally. know anything Anything. Put it in front of me and I will eat it. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. like at this point, at this point I just don't care. <laughs> like literally. But then you like, there's a decision thing and then it's like an hour later, it's like, so wait, what are we eating? Yeah. Yeah. But... <laughs> and so we have that, me and my wife have that for food. We have that for like, you know, what do you want to watch? You want to watch this? No. Yeah. And then it's like, like an hour later, it's like. You end up just watching The Office on reruns. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Or you just don't watch anything. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. now it's too late. And it's like, just go to bed. And then you're just like, man, I just wasted an hour. Yeah. Then I'm like. Thank God I wear black, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. so it's like literally, cause it's also like that happens, but I'm like, yeah. well, at least it's not happening. Both things aren't happening. Yeah. It's so. so funny. Somebody, I had a, a blue shirt on recently and somebody said something like, oh, that, look, that looks, that looks good on you or something like, or just, they were just so shocked that yeah. I was wearing anything but white or black. Cause yeah. that's typically how I, it's just like, yeah. Throw some shorts or some pants on and have a white or black tee. Yeah. And it's long sleeve in the winter, short sleeve in yeah, the summer, yeah, yeah. Yeah. maybe tank top, you know, yeah. but it's white or black and it's yeah. just make, like you said, I don't know. Yeah. I just don't. Doesn't it's like fashion's not something that I'm passionate about. So yeah. why spend any more time than I have to thinking yeah. about or find a look that you like? You know, I make I make <clears throat> the uh, my shirts ironically in Brazil. They're one of my mom's like contacts that make shirts, and I'll oh, just nice. and she'll. One time I found a nice cut of a shirt that I like. I was like, can she just make me forty of these? And every year I just go to Brazil and I get forty long nice. tee custom black shirts, which nice. I'm wearing today. Sometimes they have a pocket. Sometimes they don't. That's yeah. how I deviate, and, uh, <laughs> and that's that's what I do. Spend and I, ten yeah, minutes I, thinking about if you want a pocket or not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just waste yeah, everything, yeah. yeah. Well, dude, what what's what's coming up next? What what is the big thing that you guys are pushing right now? Yeah. So I mean, the, uh, the main focus right now has been is around this kind of like this reggae plus that we're okay. doing, and you know that I was kind of mentioning. It's like. You know, I massive crowdfunding project. Yeah, massive crowdfunding project. I I've never seen a company do something like this. There's been cool iterations. I was really inspired by like back in you know I don't know when that was like 2016 or something. I don't know if you remember Jet.com, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Got acquired by Walmart for like two bill, and they ran this really cool promo, right? And it was basically like they were trying to get people to sign up for Jet.com, and basically the amount of referrals that you can bring in to sign up would get you a certain amount of points. And there's this awesome story, like, you know, you should either get them on your podcast or just kind of read about it. And like, you, you could look it up, but this, like a bunch of people did it. There was some guy that was like a marketer clearly. And he found some way to get like 18,000 referrals into jet.com. 
and ended up winning. And basically the way the ones that you would get like a certain amount of like stock warrants into the jet.com. And I think like the founder of that was able to raise a hundred mil right off the bat. Wow. So he was a very like, I, he was, he was, I, I'm pretty sure he was like a pretty experienced, like, you know, cause you, yeah, you don't raise a yeah. hundred million with nothing because right. it was just an idea. So he was like, the, whoever backed him was banking on him. Bottom line was, it's like, you got $10 million in stock, something like that. Guy wins. Check.com ends up getting acquired for two, $3 billion, whatever it was. And this guy's like $18,000 investment in this like random referral campaign ended up netting him like 20 or $30 million. Right. And, and I was like, that's amazing, yeah. Yeah, right? And uh, like the second place winner won some, and I was like, cool. But the Jobs Act didn't exist back then, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, if you're willing to go through the process of you know reviewed and then audited financials, and you kind of essentially it's like a mini IPO, yeah. like essentially you're doing you the give same thing. To the SEC, a whole thing. Yeah. Well, and you have to get external accountants. That's what I've been doing because I mean we have a lot of revenue, and our business is a bit more mature than most companies that are either you know doing a crowdfund because then there's like the smaller crowdfunding sure. platforms where all they do is invest in like a VSL and yeah. then a marketing campaign. And they're like, if we get enough signups, then, then we'll, we'll eventually do it. Make this Exactly. Product. So yeah. it's like kind of interesting. The crowdfunding market is literally like, you know, very small companies or, and there's like a little middle, but like, or like huge moonshot businesses. Like there's a company here in Vegas that I introduced you to Boxable, yeah, Boxable yeah. and you know, they have the Elon Musk tiny home, the little Kazitas, and he's raised over a hundred million dollars at a $3 billion valuation from 50,000 investors or whatever it is. And you know that's a moonshot business. There's yeah. another one in California that these guys called Aptera. They do this like solar powered car, hmm. and they have raised like a hundred million dollars for this concept from like twenty five thousand investors because people want to see these things come to fruition. Yeah. So what's interesting about like this whole model is that I see it's like the businesses that do well tend to be moonshot companies that people can relate to and that they believe like in a very cynical and cynic type of way like the why behind it and that they see like, do you believe sure. what I believe? Yeah. And if you get down with that, instead of like having, you know, five investors that put in 5 million each, 10 million each, you can do all this marketing. You can give the free shares to your user base and then also, you know, raise money. And I think that that's kind of like aligning incentives across the entire proponent of the cycle. And if we want to focus on marketing, it's like, why not use marketing in a way that, you know, helps the company grow while also getting me more distribution and more uh, access to more people that are with our mission. Yeah, that, that's the whole thing for me. Is what's cool about your company is that you've built a through line from the mission, from like downloading the app to having the phone to being an investor in the company. It's all built on the same through line, which is like helping budget conscious consumers yeah. add some money to their bottom line yeah. without doing anything different, Yes, which is... I think a mission that a lot of people are going to get on board for, which obviously about 40, 50 million have already. So yeah. um, I have no doubt you guys are going to get to some of the other goals that you have have in store, dude. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming on the show. Where can people find more from you that some follow some of the stuff that you got going on? Yes. I mean, our, so the crowdfunds on invest.modemobile.com. We'll have a video there about everything there. You know, personally, you know, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Navias dot AI or device underscore AI on my personal, but I'm going to start posting more often Been you know, I'm going to hit Good. you up and get, Good. get more stuff. Yeah, Cause I've been, <laughs> I've been on the hibernation, yeah. hibernation media heads down. So it's, now it's I'm time, back bro. on the circuit. It's time. This yeah. is too good of a story. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously we represent people for our company Guestio. Whenever I, I get pitches all the time, you know, from people's stories and the people that want to get on podcasts and book big appearances and all this other stuff. And like, I very rarely come across stories that I'm like, 
ooh, this one could do some damage. Okay. And yours is one of them. So <laughs> thank you, man. Yeah, I'm gonna take you up on it. Here's the call to action, bro. Yeah, it's time. It's time to time to get your face out there a little bit more. Share a little bit more of the story. I have no doubt this is gonna be something that we look back on in a few years. And you know, cheers with some champagne somewhere. So, good cigar or something i'm looking forward to it that sounds great all right so go follow dan on all the social platforms gonna be posting a lot more and then check out my instagram too because we're gonna do a quick little product shoot and and a demo of the of the mode phone over there so and you can go obviously uh, get one of yours over at modephone.com is that correct modephone.com modephone.com perfect dan this is awesome dude thanks so much for coming on the show thanks brother appreciate it thank you That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.